to 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those and turn to Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3. Um, uh, well, um, Calvin Keith Green was born to the Green household this last Thursday uh, at 3.54 p.m. Yes, yes, it's, uh, it's hoot-worthy. Uh, we are, we're very excited uh, to have a third child. Um, and uh, as Jim Gaffigan says, you know, after you have several kids, when you tell people that you became a parent uh, for the third time, they just kind of look at you like you're weird. Uh, so, uh, but we're very, very excited. He's a precious little boy. He's healthy. Mama Bear is healthy. Uh, we're full of gratitude for God's grace to us, his common grace, his special grace to us, and his grace in giving us you all. Your, your encouragement, your care has been such a blessing to us, and so we're so thankful for the way that you've displayed and demonstrated the, the grace of Christ to us. So thank you so much for that. Uh, all right, we are going to dig into Jonah 1 to 3. If you'd like to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word. Let's listen with reverence and joy because this is the voice of our Lord speaking to us, addressing us as his people. Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word here in the book of Jonah. We thank you for speaking to us, addressing us giving us your presence through your word, revealing yourself in your word, showing us your will and your ways, what you expect of us. And Lord, we also thank you for revealing in your word your most holy gospel, the gospel of the glory and the grace of Christ. And so we ask that as we open your word now, Lord, that you, um, that you would convict us and comfort us, that you would break us down and build us up, that you would pluck us up and plant us, Lord, that, that you would, with your law, convict us of sin in our hearts, and with your gospel, comfort us with the truth that, that you are the God of infinite mercy and compassion and grace who draws near to us in Jesus. Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. It's through Jesus Christ that we pray to you. Amen. You can have a seat. Shipmates, this book containing only four chapters, four yarns, is one of the smallest strands in the mighty cable of the scriptures. Yet what depths of the soul does Jonah's deep sea line sound? What a pregnant lesson to us is this prophet. What a noble thing is that canticle in the fish's belly. How billow-like and boisterously grand. Those words come from 
the uh, classic Herman Melville's classic, you've probably heard of it, Moby Dick. Um, and it is also very uh, fitting for us as we begin to walk through these opening verses of Jonah this morning, because as we begin to dig into this book, just within the first few verses, do we begin to see this pregnant lesson, this, this lesson full of meaning and grace and, 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 and mercy, and just how billow-like and boisterously grand this book is, just within these first few verses. We would do well to remember that this is not just an interesting story written a long, long time ago in a place far, far away. It's not just memoirs of an Old Testament prophet uh, given for our perusal and interest. This is the word of the Lord, and it's a very peculiar word from the Lord. This book is a pregnant lesson because it's a mirror. It's a mirror. At the time, the Israelites read this this riveting rebuke uh, from the Lord with an eye toward Jonah as a representative of all of Israel. Um, the, the book is historical, of course. We mentioned that last week. It's a historical book, uh, but it, it's more than historical. It's also a parable. Jonah is representing the nation of Israel and their rebellion and their flight from the Lord. This book was meant to be a mirror to the people of Israel in their time and place in history, but the same is still true of us today. Uh, we look at Jonah, and we see ourselves still. Uh, times change, obviously, circumstances differ, but to read this book is to hold a mirror up to your face. All of us, as God's people, have been called by God. We have heard the word of the Lord. All of us, if we are Christians, have been called by God and heard the word of the Lord. And all of us and, and have lacked fidelity, have lacked the fidelity that we've been called to in God's word. And yet in the midst of all of our unfaithfulness, God is faithful to us, still constantly faithful to us. And that's what we see here in the book of Jonah. In these opening verses, we see that Jonah receives a word from the Lord. And Jonah is called on by God for a particular mission. And much to our surprise, Jonah does something that a good Israelite and a man of God should never do. He runs away. And yet instead of leaving Jonah to rot in his sin, instead of judging Jonah and casting him into the pit of hell as he deserves, we see a promise, we see promise of God's faithfulness to pursue Jonah and to show him much grace and mercy. And thus our big idea this morning is this, when God calls, Jonah senselessly runs, but God is faithful. When God calls, Jonah senselessly runs, but God is faithful. And we'll unpack that in three parts. God's call, Jonah's running, and God's faithfulness. Now, the first event that takes place in the book of Jonah is God's call to Jonah in Jonah 1.1. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Um, so this is what we would call uh, a prophetic call or a prophetic commission. Uh, we find this sort of thing a lot in the Old Testament. We find it in Genesis 15.1, the calling of Abraham. And the word of the Lord came to Abram. Uh, we see it in Hosea 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Hosea. We see it in Joel 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Joel, and so on and so forth. This exact phrase is actually found over 80 times in the Old Testament, and actually some form of it, and, and it's, uh, maybe the wording is a, a little bit different, but some form of it is found even over 100 times in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and it's sort of the, the typical way that God commissions his prophets and gives them a particular task. And here God's call comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Uh, we were introduced to Jonah last week. He's the angry prophet. And, and uh, the word that comes to him from the Lord is for him to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
Uh, Jonah's call, his commission, the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him, go get up, go preach to a wicked city, the, the wicked city of Nineveh, this large, large metro, uh, uh, city in, in, uh, in Assyria. Uh, and it's not just any uh, wicked city, as we saw last week. This is the, the major metropolis of the empire that Jonah so hated. This was like the NYC of the, the nation that he hated with a passion. It was, it was this great city of the great nation that threatened his nation's existence. Uh, it was the epitome of everything Jonah hated in the world. And, and Jonah's call was to go to the city and to preach to it and give it a, a warning of, of a coming judgment. The word of the Lord came to him, and, and that's what the Lord told him to do. And here's two things I want you to consider about Jonah in this call. The word of the Lord coming to Jonah is both a delight but it also uh, holds potential dangers. There's, there are potential dangers here. Receiving the word of the Lord, first of all, is a delight always because it's a tremendous privilege to receive the word of the Lord. Uh, it's a delight because the sovereign Lord of the universe is choosing to include Jonah in what he's doing in the world. Uh, the Lord doesn't have to include us in what he is doing in the world. He doesn't have to include us in his wonderful plan of redemption. He doesn't have to include us in his marvelous works and the ways that he's working in the world. But yet, because he is a wonderful father who loves to hit, include his children in what he's doing in the world, he calls Jonah. And, and this, gives, this gives Jonah a, a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny, a sense of, of vocation. Uh, which, is, which is also a delight. Life without purpose, life without destiny, life without vocation is directionless, it's, it's, it's depressing, so it's a delight for this reason. And another reason it's, it's, a, it's such a delight is because the, the Lord is incredibly clear about what he's calling Jonah to do. He's not ambiguous, he's not silent even. Consider that, that the Lord doesn't have to speak to us. He doesn't have to let us know what he expects of us. He doesn't have to be clear about his expectations. He, doesn't, he would be perfectly just in letting us be and letting us be damned. Right? But he includes us in his works. He's clear about what he expects of us. The word of the Lord is a delight to his people. Uh, but lest we think that just because the word of the Lord coming to Jonah is a delight, uh, that it's also easy to deal with. We should consider how this is also a danger. There, there are potential dangers that lie ahead Jonah. And this is always true when someone hears the call in the word of the Lord. This is always the case when someone hears and obeys God's word. Uh, the history of God's people from Israel up to present day is, is a bloody history. Uh, apostles were crucified upside down and boiled in pots of oil. Uh, the prophets were, were sawed in two and stoned to death. Uh, and, 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 and this is true of church history as well. If you've ever read uh, Fox's book of martyrs, which if if you haven't, you should, but if you've ever read Fox's book of martyrs, you would know that in the last 2,000 years of church history, it, uh, being a Christian has been a bloody business. It's been a bloody business. People, Christians, have been tortured and killed in every imaginable way. Jonah knows that those answering the divine call often face danger such as this. When one receives the word of the Lord, there's always potential danger. And so maybe, maybe he's considering the enormous difficulties he might face. You know, traveling in those days wasn't easy. He would have had to travel around 700 miles to get to uh, Nineveh from where he was. And, and, and who's to say that after all of that traveling, after all of that time, uh, who's to say that people in the city of Nineveh would even listen to him rather than ridicule him 
And that's, and that's to say nothing of the potential dangers and violence that might await him. He's, he's been called to go to this metropolis, one of the most violent empires in human history. Their governing authorities, their armies were merciless. They laid to waste entire cities. Numerous cities were laid to waste. And, 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 and uh, entire populations of cities were impaled on wooden stakes and left hanging for all passing by to see. They raped and they pillaged and they enslaved and they tortured people in ways that that might even be inappropriate for us to to speak of this morning. And Jonah is called to go to this people and announce the coming judgment. But you know, none of those dangers are actually what keep him from readily answering this divine word. You see, the greatest Jonah Uh, the greatest danger, rather, Jonah faces, the greatest barrier for Jonah in obeying the delightful word of the Lord and answering this divine call was actually Jonah. Jonah was the greatest danger to himself. It's Jonah's sin that causes him to resist the call of God here. Jonah's sin caused him to disobey the word of the Lord. You see, Jonah loves himself so much, and he loves the people of Israel so much, which there's nothing wrong with loving your, your countrymen and loving uh, the, the, the people of the nation that you live in. But Jonah loved himself and his people at the expense of others. Uh, later uh, in, in chapter 4, Jonah reveals that he hates the Ninevites. He, he hates the Assyrians. Jonah is what we might call today a, a nationalist. He is an ethnocentric bigot in the worst way. And, and he's the worst kind of nationalist. He's, he's a religious nationalist who thinks that God should be on his side. He's, he's a nationalist. He's an ethnocentric bigot. And so he doesn't want to go to the Ninevites. He doesn't want to go to Assyria and give them a warning of coming judgment. He just wants them to be judged and wiped off the face of the earth. Jonah doesn't want Yahweh to grant them repentance. He, he, he doesn't want Yahweh to show mercy. He doesn't want Yahweh to uh, grant repentance and salvation to this people. He wanted them dead and judged and destroyed and wiped off the face of the earth. Jonah loves his people and he loves himself at the expense of other people's and nations. Not only that, but as we see here in our text, Jonah loves himself and his people at the expense of loving and obeying God. And so to this call, to this word of the Lord, Jonah does something senseless. Jonah gives us a very good example of what not to do when God's word comes to us. Jonah gets up and he runs away. He, He outright rejects and deliberately disobeys the call of God. It says that Jonah gets up and he flees to Tarshish. And we don't know exactly where Tarshish is at this point, but what we do know is that it is in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. Jonah is in Israel. He's supposed to head to Nineveh, which is uh, modern-day Iraq. And instead of going east from Israel to Nineveh, he gets on a boat bound for Tarshish, which is probably in modern-day Spain, which is west. He goes in the exact opposite direction that he is supposed to go. And the writer is emphasizing this to us. He, he says several times that Jonah, rather than going to Nineveh, gets up and goes to Tarshish. Jonah goes to Tarshish. Go, Jonah goes to Tarshish. says it several times. He's emphasizing that Jonah is deliberately disobeying the Lord here. And now this is utterly senseless. Like Jonah has good theology, right? Jo- Jonah, he knows better. Jonah is 
a prophet. He's one appointed by God to preach to God's people and to tell them according to God's word what they're to believe, how they're to worship, how they're to live. And so he, he knows the Bible. He's received God's word. He knows the right things to believe. He knows the right things to say. He knows the right things to do. But still, because of this, this nationalism, this ethnocentrism, Jonah tries to run away, which is stupid. It's senseless. In fact, interestingly, Jonah's name communicates this to us. Jonah's name actually means uh, dove, which uh, at, the ti- at this time of place in, in uh, Jewish history, amongst the people of Israel, doves represented senselessness and stupidity. Um, Hosea 7.11 um, communicates this. Hosea compares Israel to a dove, saying, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense. And in our text, we see the same silliness and senselessness in Jonah. As his name indicates to us, he is like a dove, silly and without sense. He's senseless. And he is, he is such in at least two ways here. First, we see his intent in running was to flee the presence of the Lord. We see that in verse 3. As if running to Tarshish meant that Jonah could escape God's presence and call. As if he could escape God's word. As if he could escape the hound of heaven. As, as every good Israelite knew, Jonah knew that you can't escape the presence of the Lord. He, he knew this maybe as a concept, but, but still, nonetheless, it didn't keep him from acting in this, in this sinful, uh, stupid way. Now, he, he, he knew that he could not escape the presence of the Lord. I'm, I'm certain, like every good Israelite knew, he knew Psalm 139 that we read earlier. Uh, verses 7 to 8 say, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. This is speaking to what theologians call God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence. God is omnipresent. It means that God is present everywhere, all at once. He is in the highest heavens, and he is in Sheol. He is in the grave. He is in the lowest parts of the earth, and he's everywhere in between. You can't go anywhere to escape from God's presence, meaning that Jonah cannot escape God. If God's sight is set on Jonah, he will never escape the grace and presence of the hound of heaven. And second, Jonah is senseless in his running because as every good Israelite knew, to reject Yahweh's will is to die. Choosing our own desires and will over God's desire and will leads to death. This is what led to the spiritual death of all of humanity in the beginning when our first parents, Adam and Eve, rejected God's will and chose their own way instead. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. And Jonah, Jonah knows this. Jonah knows this. He, he knows that to reject God's will is to die. And we see this communicated in the text as well. You see this interesting phrase repeated several times in chapter 1. The phrase uh, either went down or gone down. It's actually the same word in the original language. It's actually just one word uh, repeated twice in the original language. And we see it used in verse 3. Jonah went down to Joppa. And again in verse 3, Jonah found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid a fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And then again we see it in verse 5, this time translated as gone down. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. And this word used 
in this way is actually a Hebrew euphemism for death. It's a euphemism for dying and being buried. It's, it's a euphemism for going down to Sheol, for being laid in the grave. And this, and this, uh, the author, the, the writer, is showing us Jonah's downward spiral, spiral here. He, and, and, and rejecting God's word and disobeying God's call and seeking to flee from God's presence, Jonah is headed for death. This is where sin ultimately leads us, is to death, being dead to God, dead to his word, dead to his promises, dead to his presence. That's where Jonah is headed. He's being senseless, he's being sinful, he's being stupid. Sin makes you stupid and senseless. And now it's easy for us to read this book and see Jonah as this ludicrous person. And he is, he's absolutely ludicrous, he's ridiculous. But as we mentioned, one of the things that the author intends that we do as we read the story is that we see ourselves in Jonah. We're just like Jonah. We are Jonah. One of the things that verses 1 to 3 shows us this morning is that these words are God's words. Verse 1 shows this to us, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So what we're looking at here is sacred scripture. This is not just a story with a moral. This This is the very word of God revealed through human agents. Indeed. That's what all scripture is. And remember, just several months ago, we looked at 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. All of scripture is the voice of God coming to us. All of scripture is God's words to us, his people. And the words of Jonah here are breathed out by God. The entire scripture is God's words to his people, to us. So all of us, when we read the Bible, When we hear the Bible read and taught and preached into our ears, the word of the Lord comes to us just like it did to Jonah. Veritas, and and we see that like Jonah, over and over again, we receive the delight of hearing from the God of the Bible. Every time we gather and every time we read it and every time we explore what it says to us, the word of the Lord comes to us every single time we open this book and read what it says and listen to it. Every time this takes place, the word of the Lord comes to us much like it came to Jonah. It is God speaking to us. It is the word of the Lord coming to us. It is God's word coming to us to give us his presence and revealing his will and his ways to us. And yet over and over again, like Jonah, we try to flee from the presence of the Lord. All of us have tried to run away from his will and his ways. Isaiah 53, 6 speaks of this. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. All of us have senselessly turned to our own way. All of us have senselessly tried to run away from the living God, from his presence, from his will, from his ways, from his call. All of us, apart from Christ, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, are dead and trespasses and sins. All of us have went down or gone down to the grave and rejected God's delightful word. All of us, like sheep, like Jonah, have gone astray. We do this when we fail to believe what God's word says. We do this when we fail to trust God's promises. We do this when we fail to obey God's commands. If you've ever done any of those three things, then you are like Jonah. And as John Calvin once said, all Flee away from the presence of the God who do not willingly obey his commandments. All of us are like Jonah. 
And, I, and listen, I'm not even talking just to those outside of the faith this morning. It's Christians, too. We do this. Because here's the thing that's so scary about Jonah to me. Jonah has good theology. Jonah is a member in good standing of the people of God. Jonah makes a good profession of faith. He professes to fear and worship Yahweh, the one true God. Remember on, on the boat when the sailors inquire as to who Jonah is, and he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But his actions here, his actions uh, uh, betray his profession. His running away from God's word and the divine call reveal that what he really fears is that those he hates might be forgiven, and what he really worships is himself. And we're no better. We are Jonah. God says, love your neighbor, and we get selective. God says, uh, pray without ceasing, and we pray only if we can find the time. God says, don't lust, and we look at pornography. God says to be generous with our money and possessions, and we're stingy. God says be quick to listen and slow to speak, and we don't listen to anybody, and we share our opinions on Facebook. God says to go all, uh, into all the world and preach the gospel, and we're content with our coworkers thinking we're nice people. God says to, to make disciples of all nations, but we prefer to entertain and make consumers. God says go to Nineveh, and we flee to Tarshish. We profess to fear and worship the one true God, but what we really worship is ourselves and our actions betray our profession just like Jonah. And so we have a vested interest in, in one of the big questions that drives this entire book here. What's going to happen to Jonah? That's, that's the question that drives this entire book. What is going to happen to Jonah? Jonah hears the words of the Lord and he deliberately disobeys. What's going to happen to him? We need to know because we are Jonah. We have heard the word of the Lord and we have disobeyed it. Jonah has been unfaithful. We have been unfaithful. Jonah has tried to run away from God. We have tried to run away from God. What's going to happen to Jonah? And what will happen to us? Without digging into too much of what takes place in Jonah and, and, and with Nineveh throughout the book, because we're going to cover that as we go more and more into it. But for now, what we can say is this, is God is faithful he is, he is faithful, meaning that he acts in a way that is consistent with his kind and gracious character. He acts in a way that is consistent with his mercy and his compassion and his patience. As Jonah puts it in chapter 4, he is the God who is slow to anger and abounding. He, he is an immeasurable ocean of steadfast love, unending in mercy and love, and he acts in a way that is consistent with that. He's the God who is gracious and merciful. And those wonderful descriptions of God found in Jonah are put on beautiful and glorious display. In this book, the Lord consistently and relentlessly and faithfully pursues Jonah. And we receive a little hint of that here in our text. We see Jonah referred to as Jonah, son of Amittai. Amittai, the name of Jonah's father, means Yah's faithfulness. Yah being short for Yahweh, the covenant name given to Israel by which to address God. So Jonah, the silly, senseless, stupid, sinful prophet, is the son of Yahweh's faithfulness. The author's dropping a hint for us here to let us know that although Jonah is not faithful to his call here, God remains faithful. 
And although Jonah is silly and senseless and sinful, God remains faithful in his pursuit of Jonah. Although Jonah tries to run from God's word and presence, God relentlessly pursues Jonah in his mercy and compassion, and he runs after him. And he does so because he loves Jonah, and he loves the Ninevites to whom he has called Jonah to. And the same is true of you, Christian. The same is true of you. Though you're unfaithful, your God and your Father is faithful to you. Though you've tried to run away again and again, though you've failed to hear God's call and obey his commands again and again, he still relentlessly pursues you time and time and time again. And just like Jonah, it's not based on who you are or what you've done. It's, it's, it's not based on your morality. It's not based on your record of obedience. It's based on the kind and merciful and compassionate character of this faithful God that pursues you. He relentlessly pursues you because he loves you and because he loves the family that he's called you to and because he loves the church that he's called you to and because he loves the neighbors to which he's called you and because he loves your coworkers that you've been called to and because he loves this city that you've been called to. Time and time again, your disobedience and your unfaithfulness is met with forgiveness and faithfulness from God because he loves you and he loves those to whom you've been called. And this, this relentless pursuit, as we're, we're going to see, is not always pleasant. I, I know it's, it, it wasn't pleasant for Jonah here. God's faithfulness and relentless pursuit of him came in the form of a storm, drowning, being swallowed by a fish, the burning heat of the sun, and so on. Now, many have referred to the mercy of God displayed in this book, uh, in the book of Jonah, as a severe, it's a severe mercy. God's pursuit of you is not always pleasant. It doesn't always feel good. Indeed, I would say it's often not going to be so. It comes in the form of conviction. It comes sometimes in the form of suffering. It comes in the, in the form of, of dangers and difficulties at every side. But as, as Tim Keller once said, sometimes it feels like God is killing you, but he's actually saving you. You see, sometimes it takes the discomfort of conviction and suffering and difficulties and dangers in order to tear us away from the real danger, that which will really kill us, the sin that is lying underneath, the, 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 the sin that is often hidden from our sight, whether it's like Jonah's nationalism and ethnocentrism or something else entirely. God is intent on tearing that from you because he is intent on saving you and pursuing you in his faithfulness. But listen, even in the midst of severe mercy, if you're experiencing severe mercy, this relentless, sometimes painful pursuit of God, we can rest assured that he really and truly does love us and that he is always faithful to us. He's proved it, he's proved it not just by sending prophets and delightfully delivering his written word to us through them, but he's proved it by sending his own son. He sent Christ for us. Indeed, in sending Christ, he has delivered not just his written word, but his saving word to us. As John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of the Lord came to us for our salvation. We have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the fullest expression of God's faithfulness. 
Behold, this, this is the depth to which God would go in his relentless pursuit of us. We saw Jonah go down, down to, to death, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God himself, Yahweh himself, didn't just go down to Joppa. He didn't just go down to the ship. Just, he didn't just go down beneath the ship in pursuit of us. He came down from heaven and he went to Jerusalem and he was nailed to a cross and he went down to Sheol. He went down to the grave for three days so that we would no longer flee from God's presence because of our sin, but so that we would be welcomed and at home in God's presence forever. You see, Christianity is different from all other religions because what we see is not a distant God requiring us to clean ourselves up and and come to him of our own fruition, but a God who even while we're dirty and dead and despicable, even while we're rebels resolved to run away from him, refusing to repent, he comes to us. He pursues us. He woos us. Even while we're still sinners, the word of the Lord comes to us. Even when we ran from him, he runs to us all because he is faithful. God's word comes to Jonah. God's word has come to us. Jonah ran, we run, but God is always faithful time and time again. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your faithfulness. We give you thanks for your relentless pursuit of us though we try to run away time and time again. We thank you for sending your son to run after us. We thank you for placing all of our sin on him, on the cross. We thank you for him taking it to the grave, putting it to death forever, and rising again on the third day, and giving us his victory and his life and his access to your presence forever. And we ask, Lord, that as we have heard this and as we celebrate this word, as we observe and receive and celebrate the Lord's Supper together, Lord, that that you would work in our hearts, fill us with your spirit and and fill us with gratitude and fill us with, with affection for you, fill us with love for you. Fill us with your grace so that, Lord, we can go from here in a few moments to pour ourselves out for this world that you've called us to, the homes that you've called us to, the the neighborhoods that you've called us to, the the places of work and and employment and, and, and education that you've called us to, the city that you've called us to. Help us to to never run from you again and help us, Lord, to never run from the people that you've called us to again, but help us to run to you and to run to them with a message of grace. Lord, would you work that in us by the power of your word and your spirit. Through Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.